Please be advised that in order to foster quality discussions in each episode, we will spoil the stories in each game and text we talk about. Good news is, 90% of the titles we cover are old enough that many of you might already know all about them. That said, we do encourage you to play and read before listening. Hey everybody and welcome to Arcade Bookshop. Just dropping a line before the show starts to let you know that this was the first crossover special of Arcade Bookshop and the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. Which means just a couple things. One, this was recorded way back before we even released the first episodes of Arcade Bookshop, so you might come across some talk about old or outdated information here and there. Two, I still didn't know what the hell I was doing while recording, so my voice sounds like crap because I accidentally recorded through my laptop microphone instead of my podcast microphone. Those things being said, I hope you enjoy listening to myself, Caleb, and Spencer talking about The Plague by Albert Camus. And two weeks from now, we're talking Mega Man 10, because it definitely 100% corresponds with this book. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time. are listening to the drunken pen writing podcast i'm your host caleb james with me as always spencer the algerian artichoke auditor church auditing artichokes gotta make sure that those are in line and that does the right amount and stuff like that um algeria is like a northern african country do they grow artichokes there where do they grow artichokes i don't know chile hopefully not it'd be easy easy counting yeah yeah your job would be easy uh, joining us today for this special crossover episode, Mr. He's been on the show before, yeah. so he's not, he doesn't get that fancy of an intro. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bryce Yole, and he is the current host of, like I said, a brand new podcast, Arcade Bookshop, which I'm also a member of. Join co-host words, I say them. Co-host. I'm a co-host on the Arcade Bookshop, which will be dropping August 28th, so that is the week after this episode comes out, I believe. So, Bryce, before we start this episode, why don't you tell the folks about the new podcast? Got a lot to look forward to. Arcade Bookshop is a podcast about video games and their literary counterparts for everybody who loves to play and to read. Each week we talk about a video game with a cool story. We talk about how it applies to real life if it does. And uh, if it doesn't, we just hang out and have fun with it. And the week after that, we talk about something that we think is a good textual comparison or uh buddy to the video game it's like a, it's like a literature class a little bit best we can do anyway i think it's a fun time and i think it's something everybody should check out if you like bbw and if you like some obscure games we also cover those too and caleb rants about them for long periods of time so if you want to see an angry or hear an angry caleb talk about a game bryce made him play uh you could do that and uh head on over to arcade bookshop what is the Instagram? Is it arcade underscore bookshop? Arcade underscore bookshop, and uh, well, I'll announce it on the I announce it on the podcast. But the, uh, the Gmail, if you ever want to reach out and talk about or uh, recommend uh, game and book pairings, is arcadebookshop at gmail So there you have it. So definitely follow at arcade underscore bookshop on Instagram, and you can see all the cool posts and the fancy things that Bryce uh, Bryce's wife puts up. Because he's like me and doesn't like to post shit on social media too much. What was I looking up? Oh, today we are talking about, as you can tell by the title of this episode, The Plague, La Peste. Is it La Peste? That doesn't sound right, is it? La Peste. That's what I've been hearing. So we are covering The Plague, La Peste by Albert Camus. So what would you guys think? Let's just get it out the way. Out of five whiskey shots, what do you give it, Spencer? I give it about like th- three, three and a half if we're, if we're allowed to go half Z's. A little lick. Yeah. With that third one. I give it a three as well. What about you, Mr. Bryce? I was going to say three and a half. I, w- I would probably give it a four if uh, if I read it in 2018. 
<laughs> yeah. 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 That that helps. That probably helped. Yeah, we'll get into that, but it definitely probably would have been. I wouldn't say more enjoyable, but we wouldn't have made so many comparisons to real life if we read this before we went through our own pandemic. Yeah. Though. There is a distinction because, one, the word pandemic I don't think was invented when this book came out in the 40s, but also it was an epidemic because everyone in this story is pretty calm. Yeah. Despite half their, you know, city dying, they, the people of, what is the name of the town again? Oran. I don't know how you actually say it, but. Oran, Algeria. It is not a real place. That's why I always forget it. Camu, he just made it up. But the people in the city who get locked in because there's this big plague, they do not panic. I guess we could do a brief synopsis. Let me see, actually, see if I can just find it. I forgot my fucking book upstairs, you know? Let me see if I can find a quick synopsis so we don't have to listen to me try to... And then I think a rat died, and then it bled out of its butthole, <laughs> and then a guy, he died. Uh, let's see. Oh, Wikipedia has the worst synopsises. Oh, that's a cool cover. Why don't we get that cover? That's probably a different oh, yeah. translation. Probably, yeah. It makes me think of... Uh, actually, that makes me think of somebody taking like Molly. It's just a bunch of white pills. In right, life. yeah. <laughs> All right. So the plague is a haunting tale of human resilience and hope in the face of unrelieved horror. I didn't get hope or resilience, really. I don't think that's the opposite of Camus' message, actually, because he's an absurdist. It's all about like how everybody is just living to die. So I don't think that message is. I don't think that's right. I think the the main the doc the main doctor character he's kind of hopefulish. He's the only optimistic one, really. I mean, there's a couple, but it's not. Maybe the resilience, but not of the human spirit. I don't think. Let me read the rest of this. Maybe we'll clear it up. Albert Camus. I say Albert. Albert Camus, that video we watched, that guy's pronunciation was on point. Right. Like, the character Ryu, like, is, is Ryu or Ru. Well, yeah. I, I can't see either one because he said it with his throat. Yeah. So, ugh, ugh. I was like, how are you doing Ooh. that? No, that ain't it, Bryce. That ain't it. Ooh. Yeah, kind of like, you have to be like Benji. But, well, because I, well, I wasn't sure how to pronounce it at first because just looking at it and, and trying to sound it out and with reading all, like, the Japanese uh, novels recently. Yeah, it's completely I was like, different. Like, I was like, is that, that's not how I'm thinking, like, how that should sound. No. So, Albert Camus' iconic novel about an epidemic ravaging the people of a North African coastal town is a classic of 20th century literature. The He won a, maybe it wasn't for this. I thought he won a Nobel Prize. Mm, I don't know. And I thought it was for this. Or maybe it was just his body. Of work. I think Nobel's usually the body of work. Oh, I was gonna say I know that they keep the things that I kept on watching and seeing was saying that this is like his best. Yeah. work, which makes me not re- want to read his other stuff now. <laughs> the townspeople of Iran are in the grip of a deadly plague, which condemns its victims to a swift and horrifying death. Fear, isolation, and claustrophobia follow as they are forced into quarantine. Sound familiar? <laughs> Each person responds in their own way to the lethal disease. Some resign themselves to fate, some seek blame, and a few, like Dr. Ryu, resist the terror. An immediate triumph when it was published in 1947, the plague is in part an allegory of France's suffering under the Nazi occupation and a timeless story of bravery and determination against the precariousness of human existence. I've also got some conflicting views on that allegory of World War II and the Nazi occupation, I've read some things that said that he said that wasn't it at all. Yeah. It had nothing to do with that. And he wanted to name the novel. He didn't want it to be about the plague. I mean, the novel's about the plague, but it's really not, I guess. He wanted it to be called Prisoners, The Prisoners. Yeah. And then I've read other things where it's they talk about World War II nonstop. So I'm thinking maybe some scholars and academic folk put the allegory together, and it might have not been Camus himself, or at least he didn't go that detailed. Well, let's see, well, how many times have we talked about, like, uh, you know, a writer does, you know, does their story, and then other people put what they want or what they see yeah. in, into it? I mean, the allegory does fit, but I don't think that's uh, yeah, necessarily I, I, I wonder that, too. It makes sense to me, because when I, like, when I, like I said to you uh, off air, when I, when I was reading it, I didn't really... I tried to pick up on that allegory because it was on the back of the book and you were telling me about it, but I, it wasn't very obvious to me there. I mean, there are some clear ways that they could, that someone could draw that out, but it wasn't like the most obvious Nazi allegory to me. I, 
and it coming out in like 1947 or whatever. Yeah. Like, I think everybody's looking for that. So it, I, I could very well see that everyone's just like every, every critical person is trying to put Nazi occupation and all, all those themes to every piece of literary work that comes out of that time. Well, it's interesting, though, because after COVID happened, all the people post-COVID that started talking about this book again, nobody mentioned the World War II allegory. No. Like, nobody, okay, we don't care about that, because that's not important now, because now this is relevant to modern times. We were discussing something briefly yesterday, and I can't remember. Oh, we were talking about, after we recorded yesterday, uh, not this podcast, the RK Bookshop podcast, we were talking briefly about this book, and... You mentioned, or I mentioned, I don't remember, how the townsfolk who are in this like severe quarantine and they can't leave the city and stuff was not as extreme as, say, like Italy and a lot of the countries during COVID. Because those people couldn't even go to like the grocery store without like going at a set time and things. Meanwhile, the people in this place, even though they're on quarantine, they're still going to like church and they're still going out to cafes and bars and even though they were getting more and more, um, like the lights would go out, so they had like curfews and stuff. They still were able to go out and live their lives, like they, which is the big theme in this book is uh, the mundane lives they were living. Really didn't change under quarantine, and I felt that because yeah. during COVID, my life didn't change that much. I could go to less places, but honestly, my life did not really change that much, and it made me think, just like this book. Oh, are we just living to die. Are we just living every day just to go to work and come home and eat and go to sleep? Well, I think what, like, some of that is, like, oh, because, like, you know, in the story, it's just, like, this small area, you know, it's this one city, you know, to to where with COVID, it was a global thing, mm-hmm. because, well, because they were towards the end, like, the characters would get uh, quarantined, and they, they would get put into, like, their own place, and they couldn't go, like, yeah. you know, like, the town was, like, you know, not walled off, but it was, like, the wall, the the city itself was quarantined from the rest of the area, but also within that city, once the the plague was really you know in full swing, they did quarantine other smaller groups of people. Because like, yeah, if you were the, sick, you had to go somewhere. Like, you could be with your family. Like, and I'm sure we'll get to it later. But like with the uh, the one part with like that with the kid, yeah, and stuff like that. So well, yeah, the themes of loneliness and isolation definitely come through in this book, and that's probably what. Like Bryce was saying, how he wished he would have read this in 2018. Mm-hmm. That's probably what hit the hardest for a lot of people if they go back and read this book. It's like, ah, oh, man, I don't want to relive that shit. Though, could you imagine they're reading this like, like even like a year before uh, before COVID happened, and like it was still fresh enough in your mind? You're just like, oh no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like, oh no. What's yeah, and I I actually made a note about how it's it's interesting how. It, for most people who read this at like any other time in history, you would be uh, there, there's so much drama in this book in reality that I think we kind of just didn't really care about going like it for me, the book that had, you know, it had a pulse, but it was very like just straight through for the most part. But if you read this before the, the before what we experienced, you would probably be intrigued at how an epidemic actually pans out and like nervous about the characters, how they'll get through what they're going through, who's going to get through it, who won't, if the main character is going to last through the end of the book, uh, what's going to come with the city, uh, it, how is it going to spread, all that stuff. But reading it now, it was like, it was like, I know exactly what's going to happen yeah. from point A to point Z. <laughs> like there's no urgency, there's no dread because we experienced the dread already. And this is only an epidemic and uh, a, panda- a pan- pandemic is far more, uh, uh, it spreads far you know, larger and further than uh, an epidemic. Um, uh, even it, the book just felt mellow to me and it probably helped that I was just laying down uh, donating plasma when I was reading it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it really, it felt like a relaxing book uh, and partly because Ryu was, he, I think he just was very objective the whole entire time. You didn't see a lot of emotion from him. But, like, the only real difference that I felt that was dramatic to me was the fact that it's an actual, like, uh, ancestor of a pla- of the plague. And you you got, like, 
buboes from it, which we didn't obviously experience, which sound disgusting. But but yeah, overall, my point is just, you know, you don't get the same feeling out of it that you probably would have if we didn't experience what we did. Well, this book also, I don't know if it was just the time period or the location, probably both. It was the exact opposite of the modern U.S.'s approach to COVID because in this story, when the plague takes off and stuff, people are volunteering to help their fellow man and they're helping each other and everyone's kind of worried, but it's more of like, oh, you know, it'll be okay though. Like somebody get the plague over, but it will be all right. And it was just more of like, uh, like you said, kind of relaxed, but like nervousness. Uh, but in the U.S., like when COVID happened, probably worldwide for the most part, but like you had a lot of selfishness. Everyone bought up all the toilet paper and everyone was like, fuck that guy. I don't care if he dies of COVID. I'm not getting it. Like everyone was very selfish. And I didn't like who was volunteering to, you know, help COVID shelters or anything. Not many people. But in this, you know, in this book, they actually had like task force where people would volunteer, even if it meant not doing their regular jobs and Everyone seemed to care about their, at least their little part of the city because, you know, there were separate parts of the city. But they're like, to break down the actual book a little bit. Well, I was going to say real quick, I was going to say, I think how we're talking about the time of what we're reading this, I think that also had an effect on, like, my rating of the book. Yeah. Because as, like, because I think that's what, because, like, there was parts of of it where it took me a while to kind of get through because I think it was just kind of like, again, I kind of know what this is like. Uh Uh-huh. I don't want to read about it again, yeah. especially being handled in a way better way. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so I think like that also had, I'd probably be closer to probably like to a four probably if, you know, read it at a different time. Well, it shows you the difference mm-hmm. between an epidemic and a pandemic too, because the pandemic is the panic side. Yeah. That's what we all had where some people were like, yeah, it's nothing. And then other people were way too freaked out. And then you had like most of us, which were just in the middle was like, I mean, I'll wear a mask if I have to. Could I just get my groceries and go home? Like, why do I have to, you know, disinfect my whole body and get anal probed and all this shit? That's a little too much. Or why can't I go to this bookstore that is, you know, two years past COVID and I still have to wear a fucking mask and be all clean? Like, I think we could be done with it. (laughs) Shit like that gets annoying. But going into, like, actually break down the, the story in the book a little bit, for the entire book until you get to the end, you just have a narrator and you, you know, uh, unnamed narrator, unnamed narrator who just is telling you pretty much the facts. So you have Ryu, who's the doctor, and he he's probably I guess he's the hero of this, but he's a very even individual. Like He doesn't get emotional. He doesn't freak out. His wife just left to go uh, get treatment somewhere for something that was wrong with her. I don't think it actually said. Uh, I'm assuming consumption or tuberculosis read, or something. Yeah, I read it was probably tuberculosis. Yeah. Uh, then uh, Some she, woman disease. Uh, because like back then, they're just like woman disease. <laughs> woman disease. She got the vapors. Just send her off. But uh, she, so she left right before the plague hit. Uh, but the first thing that happened, a lot of rats were just coming up. Mm. Like way too many rats. Like all the rats in the city uh, were just coming up, bleeding out of their face and dying. And I was like, what the fuck? To the point where we had task force coming and scooping up the rats and burning them every day, thousands of them. People are like, well, this is weird. And then eventually you run out of the rats. And uh, then you have the first victim, which is the concierge at the, I think it's the hotel that, is Ryu staying at the hotel? Or is he just, uh, I think he's staying there, right? I I was a little confused on his living situation. Because his mom's also there. Yeah. And the concierge that he sees every day. He gets sick, and then he gets, like, his lymph nodes, I think. Uh, or you said, was it bulbous or something? Bulba? Bubos. Bubos. Uh, like the bubonic plague. Yeah, you get, like, these big swellings, and they're, like, rock hard, and sometimes you could drain them, sometimes you can't. Basically, you die a horrible, bloody death, like the bubonic plague, kind of. And then the plague eventually also uh, switches to, a, like, a pneumonia-style plague, like a lung, a pulmonary plague. It's It's a bad disease. But it starts off slow and everyone's like, oh, that's not good. And they keep spreading. And you get through these people's everyday lives. Like, uh, Camus really does a good job of touching on, like, how mundane most people's lives are. And then how they change when something like this happens. But then also don't. It's, it's, it's strange. So, like, you have one character at the beginning. He's really weird. He likes to spit on cats. 
So he goes on his <laughs> old man. He goes to his balcony, and I think he just throws like shredded paper, and all the alley cats come over, and he just spits on them. And this is the thing they do every day. I don't know why the cats like it. Um, no but, wonder disease is spreading everywhere. Yeah, but <laughs> I forget if they just went around and killed all the cats, or I think it's something bad like that. Uh, but one day he comes out, and there's no cats there. And then he's just like, oh, and then he's, first he's like, what happened? He's sad. And then he gets, he goes through all the stages, grief, anger. Uh, then eventually he just doesn't come back out. You have one character he takes up to like counting peas or lentils or something stupid. And then uh, the one interesting character is Katard. He was like a criminal where he did something illegal and the cops were kind of after him. And he was very nervous. But then when the plague hit, all of a sudden nobody gave a shit. So he wasn't just like happy because everyone else is like, now everyone's feeling the anxiousness that he had this whole time. But he also got to uh, like kind of be free. And then he starts making money because I think he's doing more illegal shit. So he's the only one that's actually like happy during the plague. Like he's ha- he, w- he doesn't want the plague to end. Speaking of him, I think the whole reason that the cops were after him was because he attempted suicide. He, com- uh, yeah, he attempted yeah. suicide because he did something criminal first, I think. It, it explains it near the end. Yeah, he did something uh, and he committed suicide because he thought they were coming after him. And then uh, I forget what, because in the end he goes crazy. Like he has a shootout with the cops and stuff. Yeah, I, I forget. There was parts of this book where I'm not going to lie. I kind of just zoned out because we went into like a lot of abstraction philosophy and things I didn't care about. And then just some of the stuff was kind of boring. But it probably took me a good half of the book before I cemented the characters. Yeah. Because we have another one, uh, John or Gene Tarot or Taru. He mm-hmm. is also a narrator. It's not him narrating, but it's like letters. I guess he kept track of everything that was going on and he was uh like he wasn't emotional either really. So it would have these switches from the narrator to talking about this guy and sometimes I wasn't paying attention when the yeah. switch happened. I'm like, "What? Who is talking now? Why what is this? What's the point of this?" The the character I liked the most was uh Rombear. He was a reporter, like a journalist who was just visiting the city. I forget what he was covering, but uh when the plague hit, he couldn't leave. And he had like a a woman, uh, I forget if he was going to get married or was married, but he had to get out. He wanted to go see her. He didn't want to be there. And he, he so uh, the most interesting to me chunk of the book was him trying to get out of the city, mm-hmm. coming up with all these annoying ass ways to get out of the city and they keep falling apart. Much like when we dealt with COVID, like you kept trying to, these different things and then you like, you know, you'd see the sun for a minute and you'd be like, okay, things are clearing up and then the clouds come again. It's like, yeah, man, every time we think we're out of this fucking thing, you know, more COVID, more fucking plague. Uh, So he wasn't able to get out, but then he ends up accepting his stance in life and becomes a part of the volunteers that help the the plague victims. And then funny enough, when he does get the chance to leave, he doesn't want to. Mm -hmm. So there's like some interesting things you could discuss with that, but uh, we end up going to Tarot again, who he, him and Ryu get close. Uh, there's a weird swimming scene with them, which I, I, no one was allowed to go in the sea. So I don't know. I think they just did it, just did it. Like nobody stopped them, but they're pretty much like the guys in charge of everything now because uh, they're the only like real like doctor. Well, I don't think Tarot's a doctor, but I sort he, of got the impression that they let them go in the sea Yeah, uh, because of who they are. And that was an example of like it actually does matter of like your class and your place, your your status. That's what I felt, yeah, because they were like the top guys right during the plague. And then uh you know, big spoiler alert, uh right when the plague clears up, fucking Tarot dies of the plague. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like one of the last <laughs> victims. Yeah. Uh and but there's like that's a really good scene. There's a scene before that that's actually pretty heart wrenching. Uh the magistrate, I believe who's setting all these rules and laws that a lot of people are getting pissed off about. He, uh, his son gets the plague. And by this time they have like these big tent camps up and stuff. So Ryu's working on the sun. They had, they already developed a serum and I think it's just starting. Like they finally got one that's starting to work a little bit. Like the, so they're hopeful they give it to the kid. You just have this long drawn out scene of this kid fighting and fighting. And then ultimately he dies. And then the same thing happens to, uh, Taru. he, fights and fights like hell and another long drawn out scene and you by this time you like him so you don't want him to die and he does and then you also you guys might have to help me with the name because i forget it uh it's like paralu or something like that the uh, uh priest yeah he's the yeah. bad guy panato. panato or something like that yeah panato yeah so it ends with an x and it starts with a p that's all we need to know yeah uh <laughs> for purposes of this panato 
he uh was a fucking asshole. Yeah. Say so basically the plague was because of sinners and sin and you know depravity and shit like that. Just one of those guys. And, and then doesn't he end up dying from the plague? I hope so. I don't mm-hmm. remember. Yeah, he does. Good. Yeah, he gets his comeuppance. I mean, he's but he's as close as to to a bad guy you get in this situation. But like this whole story is just pretty much like what if you're just your neighbors and your friends all of a sudden you got roped into this weird situation well, where we couldn't leave and there was a big disease or something. Well, again with COVID, like just the, all the parallels with COVID, it it shows all like what the human condition, like what they can adapt to. And turn into ordinary after a while, like you know. Yeah, like you. Well, that also goes with the World War Two allegory. Is just you could normalize anything, mm-hmm. really. Any situation humans can adapt to and normalize, and it's just like that's not right. Probably shouldn't mm-hmm. have to do that, but we do. Well, you were talking about the scene with the the boy dying, and that is like that's probably the only scene that makes you feel. I mean that that and T- Taru dying. I mean that because you you end up really liking his character, but you don't really know that boy. So the only reason you feel bad is because he's a kid, which is a valid reason to feel bad about yeah. it. But I, I don't know the actual number. But by the end of the book, isn't it only like in the hundreds the the death count? No, there was up to like six to seven hundred people a day dying at one point. Yeah. Oh, they, was that it? Okay. Yeah, because yeah, the the funeral or the the uh, cemeteries got filled and they were just burning bodies. Yeah, they, that's right. It was it was so many hundred a day, but still, I think it just it it just goes to show like even even with that number because it was a few hundred a day over the course of like ten months or something, mm-hmm. and you, you just yeah, it makes me think of the rate and the variety of manners that we are desensitized as as humanity nowadays like even the fact that even even when it comes to uh numbers like we we have it in our head somewhere that there were like millions and millions of people that died from covid so having that to compare with this book is just another way that we can look at it and be like eh that's not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, I forget how many people they said lived in the city, but it, it was like compared to what we have now in just even a small city. We're like, no, that's nothing. So even if it was like 20,000 people dying, we're like, okay, well, we get that yeah. in an earthquake, you know? Yeah. But that's just like how <laughs> fucked up society has become now because, no, that's a trap. Like, that's horrible that you would have that many yeah. people die. Um, there was one more character we didn't mention that I enjoyed uh, because he was weird, was grand. The guy who uh, had to write the perfect sentence. Yeah. So he ends up like writing. I think he's trying to write a book and his wife ends up leaving him because he's just so obsessed. But he only can't get past the first sentence and he just rewrites it in like a bunch of ways that are all good. You're like, just what are you doing? Just say, you know, do the sentence. And he ends up getting the plague and he wants to write a letter to his wife. And I don't think he ever even writes the letter because he can't make it perfect. And uh, I, I forget what that was supposed to signify. I looked it up, but. I just I thought that you know the character was interesting because he seemed like such a nice old man though. That might just be Camus, just like little like more of the absurdism uh, I think, or, or just even just on yeah. like the uh, the right of you know of being like a writer of like you know because I'm sure he's probably had to deal with that yeah. himself of like you know trying to write that perfect sentence like every you know every writer does and you just gotta get past it. Right. And it's probably it's probably like talking about himself a little bit there too. I mean. I don't know what kind of writer he was, but I would imagine if he's talking about that, he's probably maybe he's struggling to write the plague and he's and he's yeah. trying to get get the characters right in all the best ways and he's just doing it over and over and over again. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but it's that's that's what I drew from it a little bit. The scene where he is writing the sentences over and over does come off almost personal. Like from experience, like you could see how yeah. someone be like, oh, because I've done it myself where it's like, maybe if I just switch these words, maybe if I cut this off and then add this, you know what? I keep I, I use the same word twice in this sentence. Let me just cut that. I, I like that scene. I just thought it was interesting. Let's uh, since we're already at 41 minutes, let's get on to the allegories, though. This is the big one, you know, especially like the World War Two, because like I said, I see I've been reading a lot of like critical analysis of this, but I haven't actually found anything of Camus saying that the, this was a valid allegory, so I don't know. But I was able to find this. Uh, this is from The Conversation. They uh, actually, I just heard about them today on the Reading McCarthy podcast I listened to. They're doing a tribute episode, 
And some of the people that were uh, writing tributes to him uh, were published here. So it must be legit because they're all scholars. So there are multiple allegories. Camus' prescient account of life under conditions of an epidemic works on different levels. The plague is a transparent allegory of the Nazi occupation of France beginning in spring 1940. The sanitary teams reflect Camus' experiences in and admiration for the resistance against the brown plague of fascism. Fascism. I don't know why I said fast. Fascism. <laughs> so, uh, so before we even move on, do you guys really feel that this was an... Because when I was reading it, just because I read the back matter of the book, I kept in mind the World War II allegory. So whenever you use the word prisoners, I was thinking of like the occupation... But after finishing it, I really didn't think it was like if it was there, like it was there in the imagery, but I didn't think it was that strong. Yeah, I I didn't really get that uh, too much. It's kind of like one of those things. It's almost kind of like with the stranger, like the guy's like, it seems like he's autistic. Well, obviously he wasn't autistic because back then that wasn't a thing. But if you line it up to that, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You can make it it fit, but that doesn't mean it was. Yeah. Yeah, I there there are numerous instances like you talked about people just getting used to the isolation and all the changes and things and just humanity being that like versatile or you know able to change and the only other thing that was that seemed very Nazi-ish to me was putting all the bodies on the trains uh to transport them to get taken care of but, but like I I would I would say that i don't think it was if because if i read this and didn't know that i definitely wouldn't think twice about that it seems to me that it's more it fit with a plague like you know like if there was a plague and the city was shut down it kind of fits like that's how you would treat it like you wouldn't you wouldn't just be like all willy-nilly just let people do whatever they want right and i so overall i just think I, i it seems more like another way to serve his agenda of talking about absurd absurdism and existentialism because that fits very well in every aspect. Well, let's let's see if they have some decent reasoning for this that we just overlook. Camus' title also evokes the ways the Nazis characterized those they targeted for extermination as a pestilence. The shadow of the then still recent Holocaust darkens the plague's pages. I didn't feel Holocaust at it all. Seems. I mean, I guess the only Holocausty thing, like is you said, that the bodies and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's like the mass graves when when it was really kicking in. But but mm-hmm. Camus studied all the different plagues that yeah. you know uh, happened before you know his imaginary one. So like he was just kind of referring to how they handled it. You know, carting off bodies and stuff. Mm-hmm. That doesn't. Again, that's not just. Ho- I mean, you could, if you really want to, you could say, yeah, that's Holocaust imagery. But I didn't feel like it was. When death rates become so great that individual burials are no longer possible, as in scenes we are already seeing, the Oranes dig collective graves into which, uh, here's a quote from it, the naked, somewhat contorted bodies were slid into a pit almost side by side, then covered with a layer of quicklime and another of earth, so as to leave space for subsequent consignments. So again, though, like if you just have, you know, mass genocide or giant plague, or just a big war, you tend to have bodies in a pit. That doesn't necessarily mean the imagery lines up as a you know an allegory to me. But I mean, I could see it. But I don't. I think people are maybe reading a little too much into that. Mm-hmm. Again, so far this hasn't mentioned Camus' actual you know thoughts on the matter. I'm sure somebody asked him. I would hope so anyway. Uh, when the measure, well, you know what? Before I get on, that's another thing too. Because we were talking about, like, how everybody likes to see things from, you know, post-World War II. Everyone likes to see, oh, this was about World War II. It's an allegory in different works. Well, directly after World War II, a lot of people did not want to see stuff like that. Yeah. Because, like how we were talking about, oh, we don't fucking want to talk about COVID and think about COVID shit right now. I don't care if this book's an allegory about COVID. I'm not, I don't want to think about that. So a lot of times during World War II era, like post-World War II, people weren't necessarily looking for world war ii allegories like how they say uh like the hobbit and the well not the hobbit mainly um how, how the lord of the rings is an allegory for world war one and tolkien's like no it's fucking not i don't like world war one I. I don't want to talk about it i was in it but this book is not about it at all it's guys throwing a ring in a fucking fire so i just think it's funny that people look so hard into this stuff just why maybe it it's makes it more like- interesting for them i don't know 
you can actually look in the book about this too, because he thought uh, the narrator talks about how everyone is, including himself, obviously, is wanting to write and express themselves about the experience of isolation, and and, it, and that immediately reminded me of how as soon as I mean, granted, I only started writing again last year, but as soon as I started writing and looking at submitting and stuff, everyone is already over like all the all the literary journals and everything. They're already over the COVID talk. They're, they're like, we've received so much shit about this. We're done. But then even even when they uh, say that they still publish that kind of crap. But but yeah, to your point, people get sick of it real fast. They don't want to hear about it anymore as soon as it's remotely over. Yeah, maybe like 10 or 15 years past yeah. people will start looking back and a lot of times it's people that didn't actually experience it firsthand or were young mm-hmm. and didn't really live through it or work through it and then and that's when you get like the like how world war ii is so romanticized like it's not romantic it's awful yeah. it was a horrible thing so covid will be like that people will be romanticizing covid in the movies and stuff in the future like no uh they, they already do that about like 9 11 it's like people that weren't even born yet are talking like you know they're in like their early 20s now, like, you know, maybe 23 or something. So, like, you know, if they, if they start making movies and writing books and stuff about 9-11, it would be this weird viewpoint that was like, that's not how it was. <laughs> yeah. I'd imagine World War people that actually fought in World War II hated all the shit that came out. Like, you all right there? <coughs> Sorry. It's <coughs> so what the mute button's for. So I do when I'm choking to death. <laughs> <coughs> Somehow that made it louder. <laughs> what did you press? What really? Yeah. I turned my channel off. You don't have a mute button? No. You sure you're using your mixer properly? I turned my channel off. I don't know. Did nothing. <coughs> Alright, I'm almost done. Hold on. <coughs> you done? I'm done. So we continue with this. When this measure fails to keep up with the weight of these consignments. As with the genocidal actions of the Eisenstruppenpuven, I don't know how to say that word. Um, Eisenstocken, you know German. E I N Z A T S G R U P P N. Did he fucking mute himself now? There's no fucking way he muted himself now. <laughs> All right, I'm good. We're good now. <laughs> what the fuck? How did you mute yourself? Post. Okay, so you said you said you could hear me after I turned my channel off. So I thought maybe I'm recording through this laptop because I couldn't be recording through that laptop because I'm doesn't make any sense. So I, I muted myself on Google on the or on my Chromebook. Okay. So I, uh, yes, that's what happened. But um, <laughs> I couldn't tell what you uh spelled out there. It was too many letters. Uh, it doesn't matter. Say <laughs> so his head flap. Anyone saying anything? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, the the Eisengarkengruppen, uh, the old crematorium, crematorium east of town is repurposed. Closed streetcars filled with the dead uh, are soon rattling along the old coastal ta- tram line. Thereafter, when a strong wind was blowing, a faint, sickly odor coming from the east reminded them that they were living under a new order and that the plague fires were taking their nightly toll. So now, I guess the burning of the bodies, they're you know, equating with the uh. Like the Holocaust, the uh, the burning of the bodies, you know the the uh, smokestacks and shit. Uh, Camus' plague is also a metaphor for the force of what Doctor Ryu calls abstraction in our lives. This is where I checked out of the book for a while. <laughs> yeah. He kept talking about abstraction. I was like, oh, I don't care. Uh, so maybe this will uh, enrich our lives a little bit. All those. So this is what abstraction apparently is. All those interpersonal rules and processes which can make human beings statistics to be treated by governments with all the inhumanity characterizing epidemics we kind of talked about that already actually about just the uh being a number instead of an actual person uh so when you have a plague like this go on uh, and people are dying in mass eventually they stop being people and they're just a statistic so for this reason the enigmatic character taru identifies the plague with people's propensity to rationalize killing others for philosophical philosophical why can't i say that word Philosophical. 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 Thank you, Bryce. Uh, killing others for philosophical, religious, or ideal ideological causes. It is with this sense of plague in mind that the final words of the novel warn that the plague. I can't, still can't say this word. Bacillus. The guy in the video, I swear, said T like Bacillus. Maybe. How do you spell it? B a c i l l u s. 
Bacillus. Bacillus. But the guy definitely with the French accent said it with the T. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. Well, it's probably because he's French. I don't know. He is French. I don't think he was French. I think he was just <clears throat> good at French. He could have been terrible, actually. Just, right, yeah, how would we work. know? That the plague bacillus never dies or disappears for good. That it can lie dormant for years and years in furniture and linen chest. That it bides its time in bedrooms, cellars, trunks, and bookshelves. And that perhaps the day would come when, for the bane and the enlightening of men, it would rouse up its rats again and send them forth to die in a happy city. That's the part that I didn't like. <laughs> the end, like, the I ending? Like, I was like, oh, that happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then it goes on about hope and all this other stuff, but it doesn't go any more about uh, World War II. So I think that was very surface level allegory. If it's there, yeah. I didn't think it was too deep. Like people bring it up to because if it was, I don't think Camus. Like I think he would have had a harder stance on it if it was true. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he would have been able to find some interviews where he really talked about it. One last thing I, I want to bring up where we're talking about just Camus, the guy. He the, at least in the videos that we watch, like I watched him. He seemed like a pretty cool guy. He was yeah, all, he he was like uh, a good looking dude. Always had like a like a hand rolled cigarette in his hanging out on his lip. Yeah, he seemed like a pretty cool guy. Like, well, he was an absurdist. He didn't take life seriously. He thinks he was one of those guys that thinks that the people who take life seriously are hilarious. <clears throat> and I could get behind that. Yeah, right. Because we all die in the end. We all poop. Like we're not that special. But people act like they are. They act like they don't poop. They act like they'll never die. They live. A lot of people, it's weird. They live like they're never going to die, but then they don't actually do any living in between right. being born and dying. So The, the things that they heard, hold as important yeah, are stupid as shit. And it's like, you know you're going to die one day. Maybe actually do some shit that's worthwhile instead of just complaining and focusing on this mundane nonsense that nobody cares about, which is Speaking what the characters which. in this book did. Mm-hmm. Did uh, have you guys seen the uh, looked up anything about what Camus said about the three responses to the absurdity of life? Mm, I don't think so. No. So that came up for me. So his three responses are suicide, intellectual suicide, or denial, or like like uh, burying your head in the sand, or acceptance of the absurdity and revolting by your existence. Mm. So basically, and that that's you know that's obviously the one that he agrees with. Suicide is just giving up, um, being selfish. Intellectual suicide is living, but living as if you've given up and not pay, not doing your part and paying attention to things, pretending they're not there. That's most and, people. Yeah. Right. So his his philosophy is to accept the absurdity, work through it, and I think that's why Ryu is his main character because. He's not. Uh, he's not giving up. He's not quitting. He's not. You know. He's not Qatar who wanted to kill himself. But he's doing his job every day, and it fulfills him. And and he uh, he doesn't take sides either. He works for the government and against it the whole throughout the whole book. I don't know. It's interesting how he. I, I think he illustrated that all three of those things in different characters. Yeah, I I did think it was interesting how the book really shows you how even though such like drastic changes to people's daily lives can happen, they'll still do the same shit that they always do if they can manage it. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying earlier, you know, during COVID, my life, like I know like Bryce, you know, you couldn't go to the office anymore. You had to work from home. But me and you, yeah. like maybe you had more, you, at your work, you had more procedures to go through, but other than, and the hours changed, but right. that was like it. For me, nothing changed other than I had to wear a mask everywhere I went. Right. And like, it was harder to get into hospitals and banks and shit. But I was just affected by other people being affected. But personally, my life didn't really change. Right. Actually, during COVID, I had a great time. I bought a house. Yeah. <laughs> I got married. <laughs> like, everything was going gangbusters for Caleb. Made a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking fuck you, COVID. I did get COVID and almost died. But other than that, <laughs> other than that part, it was pretty cool. <laughs> I did. I love the part in the book where they, they briefly talk about masks. And uh, like, the first time they come in, uh, they're like, I think R- Rumbear is like, will these actually do anything? And they're like, no, it makes everyone else feel better. <laughs> yeah, that was, 
<laughs> yeah, I thought that was interesting. It was like, oh man, even in the forties, they were like, "Fuck yeah. these masks." But then that was actually because during the Spanish flu, uh, during like World War One, they actually did do a mask mandate, and a lot of people were like, "Fuck the mask." So that's that never changed. People just will never want to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Um, no, nobody just ever wants to do the thing that they're told to do. Yeah, that can help yeah. out. Well, the thing is too, like if you go with the mask, it was never like a mask that would actually be effective. No, like you're wearing the like I wore the same shitty surgical mask until it broke every day. It's like that's not that's probably making me sicker. Uh, people wearing bandanas that are barely covering the the front of their faces, just fishnet. Yeah, like just fucking fucking off now. Now we're just like that's when the absurdism really came about with COVID. Is just like you'd see people just wearing a lampshade on their head, yeah. a fishbowl, an astronaut helmet, like just <laughs> stupid as shit. Like does this count? Does it panties? It's like come on. It's like the absurdism, and it's like, are they actually being serious, or are they making a statement? That's a good point, actually, because I, like, living through it, I felt like it it, it felt Nazi-ish to me. Like, yeah. The, especially, like, the, I saw it most in terms of how they forced store employees to act towards strangers who were just shopping. There were multiple occasions where we went in, and maybe our masks fell down a little bit, and they started yelling at us. <laughs> And it, it was just insane. I it happened. It happened to us in I think Target, Trader Joe's, and Whole Foods. And they would stand there until you pulled your fucking mask up. And it was it was just it, it felt very like uh, I don't know. It it it, it felt. I, I kept thinking of how they all seemed like Nazis. <laughs> See, I had it from the other way around where customers would be getting on us for not like, right where like if it, while we were working, if it would slip down a little bit or something, they're like. You know the the the, the customers would be like, they're not wearing the mask. The managers get them. Like when it got really surreal was when the employee would come up to you, like, "Hey, I don't want to do this because I think it's stupid, but you ha- you got to wear the mask. You got to put it on." And it's just like, ah, oh, it's like then you almost feel bad. But it's like yeah. this poor schlub is just like you're talking about Nazis. This is the guy on the bottom. Yeah. This is the guy's like he doesn't want to be a Nazi. No, he just don't want his family to get killed. Yeah, he's just it's like, like I just gotta fucking thing. do it. He's just trying to survive. Yeah, but- that's one thing. I, I don't mind that when they're like, I don't know, whatever. It's it's when they're like, they feel like they're righteous about it. And that bothers me because you don't know. None of us know. Like, like enforce your rules, but don't be a dick. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, it gave people who never had power in their life power. Uh, even yeah. if it's the most minute thing. Because I've seen videos of like store employees like chasing people out to their car. Yeah, I got a mask. Get the fuck out of here. And it's like. Dude, you're like a cashier that makes yeah. minimum wage. Why do you care at all? <laughs> like, Seriously, if it just it's it's crazy that the amount of power people could take from the stupid just the fact that they could tell somebody to do something and they have to do it. It's like this thing just flips like this switch in them. It's like yeah, I'm the fucking man now. Listen to me, bitch. <laughs> like it's like why do you want to be like that though? Like I <laughs> I would be more of one of the people in Algeria who's just like. Hey, I don't want you to feel bad either, man. Like, you know, if you don't want to wear the mask, I don't care. I'll wear my mask. Like, but fucking so many people go on these power trips and they don't give a shit about their fellow man. Like, they're not doing it because they care about them dying or getting sick or even getting other people sick. They just want them to do what they say. Well, then I think some of us are too like, hey, they're getting on me about me wearing my mask. So I'm going to get fucking on you about you wearing your goddamn mask. If I got to fucking suffer, (laughs) you got to suffer till the end. (laughs) No, why? That's that's stupid. So I thought the plague was better if we read it before the plague happened, <laughs> <laughs> or or later, later, later after the plague happened. I did not realize it was going to be an exact replay of COVID without technology. <laughs> yeah, which makes it horrible. Think about like being locked up during COVID, but you, there's no TV, yeah. there's no video games, there's no cell phones, no, no internet. internet. Music's like a shitty gramophone that has one song. You you might have books, but like you're there for so long, there's a good chance you could literally read everything that's in your town. And all the books at the time are probably like Shakespeare and stuff because there's not too many modern novels at the time. I mean, by the 40s, I guess you can get some decent ones, but still, it's like, okay, I'm going to read James Joyce for the undertime mm. because this is in Algeria. This isn't America where sure, they just yeah. had like fucking pulp books and stuff. They had uh, French well, I remember French their books. quarantine was only like 10 months, whereas ours was, I mean, I don't know how long it was. I think ours was at least two years. 
I don't know. We never had a full quarantine in this country. I think maybe like some well, cities did. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the mandates were only lifted like six months ago. Yeah, the mandates, but a lot of people didn't follow those anyway. But yeah. uh, you know what? I'm not even going to go into like yeah. shutting down businesses and ruining people's livelihoods over that shit because that was really aggravating. But I like to go back to like places like Italy where they have high elderly populations. So they were so strict, like you couldn't leave your apartment. It's like, wow. But we also had the stupid shit in this country. It was like, well, if we're not going to have people work, we kind of have to pay them. Well, let's wait like a year until they're like bankrupt and fucking poor and dying and, you know, starving to death. And then we'll give them like a thousand bucks. <laughs> it's like, that was fucking stupid. Thanks. Thanks, uh, government. So, in summation, don't get the plague and you'll be all right. All right. You'll be all right. Next time we'll cover a better book, I think. No, this is a bad book. I recommend people read it. It's just it, it, it's written very well, and and all the, and all that. It's just also oh, we probably shouldn't mention the translation we were reading. Uh, I already forget the lady's name, and I'm copy the book. Laura Maris. Laura Maris. This is a new translation. It's supposed to be more exciting. So if this was the exciting version, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> but needless to say, after reading this, I was really excited to read like the Sound and the Fury and stuff because it was like something different was happening. You know, yeah. book also reads a little mundane, just like the. Uh, characters and their lives anyway bryce why don't you go ahead and give uh the people a refresher about the other podcasts we do and then i'll do our proper outro everybody listen to arcade bookshop coming out uh, august 28th what's the, the first episode first episode is going to be about earthbound and we're, re- we're actually releasing two episodes the first day Ooh. so earthbound and something wicked this way comes by ray bradbury Exciting. We're going to talk about the stories of Earthbound, some of the gameplay, and we're, then we're going to tear apart something wicked this way comes. Spooky classic. And uh, after that, you can hear us every other Monday, and you can uh, you can follow us at arcade underscore bookshop or reach us at Gmail at arcadebookshop at gmail.com. And let us know what you think or give us some recommendations. Very nice. Uh, you can follow us at DPW Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, slash X, uh, YouTube, and Instagram. And Spencer, if you really want to see his OnlyFans, you can go to, what the fuck were you again? The Algerian Artichoke Auditor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Church. Nope, just a lot of counting. A lot of counting of artichokes. Making sure they're in line, making sure yeah. people aren't stealing them. Right. Artichokes, I don't mind them. Like, I could eat some of them, but I'm not a big artichoke guy. Like, it's not my go-to. Also, if you want to see what I'm up to and who's rejected me recently, I don't post my rejections on my website, but I probably should just for fun. Yeah. Uh, CalebJamesK.com. I do have stuff coming out. I promise it. Just fucking got to wait, man. Everything you got to wait for. I have something coming out that's going to be pretty big, and that's supposed to be starting up soon, so keep an eye or ear out for that. Uh, Anyway, we thank you for listening, and we will check you next week.